Tonight we're going to do something just a little bit different. I, I want you to get your Bible and we're going to look at some things. It's, it's going to be a period of Bible study. Um, and, and here's the reason why. I, I am not an alarmist. Um, and I don't have the intent or the desire to stick my nose in other people's business and, and to try to run things someplace else. We, we have enough going on here that, that we need to take care of. But I also know that part of being a faithful preacher of the gospel is to preach the, the whole counsel of God and to encourage and sometimes to rebuke and sometimes just to warn and to make us aware of things that are taking place in, in our brotherhood. I, I know there are sometimes there are things that are going on half a world away and, and they don't impact us and, and we shouldn't be too much concerned about those things. But every once in a while, there are things that are close to us in time and in space that uh, maybe we ought to keep our eye on, be aware of, know how to address if if we are confronted with it, and uh, that's what that's what I want to do tonight. Um, and again, it, it is not my desire to stick my nose in other people's business, but it is a desire to to point out some things about what God's word says about various topics, and these are things that confront the church. You know. This morning, we talked about um, war and how to bring an end to war. War is of the devil. It is born out of somebody, not necessarily both parties, but somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And the ultimate end is people, innocent people, get hurt in wars. And not only do wars take place on, on a national level, but <clears throat> they take place in the church. People don't conduct themselves as they should, and they, they, there are church divisions and battles that sometimes occur. But in connection with that, let me talk about something that I would just entitle Worship Wars tonight. Worship is an act in which Christians should all be united in a common goal. And that goal is to pay homage and devotion and respect to God. That's why we worship. Yet worship has become a battlefield. Worship has become a place where the goal of paying homage to God sometimes is is lost and our own agendas are pursued and Worshiping God is, is lost somewhere in the, in the shuffle. Worship, for some people, has become more about self-gratification than in seeking to please God and to make Him happy in, in what we do. And I don't think that there's anything as central as, Christ, as worship is to Christianity. I don't think anything that central can be messed up, and we still thrive and, and flourish and, and continue to be uh, or, or cause the cause of Christ to, to thrive. So uh, what I want us to do is to look at some things that uh, ha- have taken place recently. Uh, several people have asked me to do this, and I can't address all the angles that they wanted to address, but I do, I do want to address a couple things tonight. If the cause of Christ is to thrive and to flourish, we have to take up the fight 
not, not willingly, but reluctantly, we have to take up the fight uh, and defend this holy ground of worship. Let me give you just a little bit of history to give you a little perspective as to what is taking place and, 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 and why it's taking place, and then address some things that uh, have just recently taken place uh, not too far from us. Um, if you go back uh, just, well, 150 years ago, uh, and 1906 uh, kind of is a culminating year, but prior to 1906, in the mid-1800s, um, there were some events that took place that divided the body of Christ. During that period, we call it the restoration period. There were a lot of people that abandoned uh, their denominational bodies and their creeds of men, and they said, you know what, let's just go back to the Bible and, and do what the Bible says and, and give up the, the doctrines. And if you can't find it in the Bible, we're not going to practice it. And, and so the church was growing, and, and people were flocking to it. And, well, Edmund Burke, you, you know the quote or something along the lines of, those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. That's true. You see, what happened to us as a people 100, 150 years ago is happening again. And we need to be aware of that so that we don't allow it to repeat itself. Let me just give you one instance, one for instance. In the mid-1800s, there were some, well, there, there was a, a rift among brethren over how they interpret the Bible. And that rift was carried out by, in a number of ways. It, it rode out on the instrumental music question, can we worship with instrumental music or not? It rode out on the missionary society, can we support uh, a parachurch organization to do the work of the church? And, and some of it carried out on the war issue, the civil war taking place and some of the things concerning that. But because of a difference in how we viewed the Bible, there was a growing division. With instrumental music, for instance, in the mid-1800s, Benjamin Franklin, not, not the statesman Benjamin Franklin, uh, it's a little late for him, but Benjamin Franklin, the gospel preacher, Yes, there was a Benjamin Franklin, a gospel preacher. Benjamin Franklin was giving his estimation of our brotherhood. He said, you know, there are, there are about 10,000 congregations of churches of Christ right now in the United States. And uh, he said, I, I would suppose that there are less than 50 who use the instruments. He made that statement in 1861. Out of 10,000 congregations, only less than 50 were using the instruments. By the year 1906, you know, 45 years later, 8,500 plus congregations were using the instruments, and only 2,000 were, were not using it. How in the period of 40 years did churches make this kind of a shift? How, how did that happen? How did they go from 99% not using the instrument to 85% using the instrument? During that period of time, we lost our colleges. Uh, nearly all of the, the Christian colleges that existed at that time, we lost those. We lost 
the buildings, we lost 90% of our, our membership at that time because of that change. Well, listen, that was 150 years ago or 100 or so years ago. Let's fast forward. The church divided at that time, and uh, we, we regained our losses. In fact, Churches of Christ grew faster than the independent Christian church and the Disciples of Christ that split off from that more than both of them together combined. And, and we are, you know, on roughly 13,000 congregations or so in the United States today. I would say, again, that about right now, there are less than 50 congregations among us that are now using instruments of music and worship. Um, Could it happen widespread again? Well, it happened once before. And what allowed it to happen before? We, We better be aware. And just because it's not big today doesn't mean 40 years from now the landscape can look very different. That's why I want to bring this up. Our history reminds us of how quickly things can change. If you if you turn from a, a correct biblical hermeneutic or, or method of interpretation, um, it opens the path and the door to a lot of things. Like I said, 100 years ago, it was instrumental music, it was missionary societies, it was the war question. Today, it's instrumental music again. It's the role of women. And, and it's the role that baptism plays. Is baptism essential or not? And um, I'd like for us to talk about some recent events and just give you some passages, some thoughts to consider as this has made headline news. If you are on social media or anything, you've probably seen the video of a young lady who is a college student in the state of Tennessee at one of our Christian colleges, and she is a preacher uh, or a preaching intern. And that is her life goal, to become a preacher, to stand up on Sunday mornings and preach the gospel to a group of people that she says within our tradition. She wants to do that. Um, I'm not here to question her motives or to question her heart uh, or the church where she uh, is currently working as a preaching intern and and doing this. Um, That's not what this is about. I'm not even going to share her name or the congregation's name. That's not what I want to be about. What I want to focus on is what does the Bible say? And how do we address this? And, and if it raises its head in our area, are we equipped to talk with people intelligently about this issue? How do we war this war? How do we fight this battle to retain possession of this holy ground of worship? John 4 and verse 24 says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we have to have our heart into our worship. We, we have to have a passion and our spirit engaged, sitting in a pew and filling time and being respectful for 30 minutes and then heading out of here. That is not worship. We have to engage our inner man in worship. It has to be done with spirit and in spirit, but it also has to be done 
with truth and in truth. And, and if we're lacking in either, we are out of balance and our worship is not what it should be. And I believe that this holy ground of worship, the spirit of worship needs to be defended as well as the truth of worship. That too must be defended. As I said, there's a young lady who's a college student at one of our Christian colleges. That Christian college recommended her to a congregation that, of course, they knew uh, was on this progressive side of things and said, hey, we got a girl that's wanting to preach. Would you take her in and help train her to be a preacher? And they gladly did. And uh, just the other day was her first uh, Sunday where she preached. Of course, that has made uh, a lot of headlines. Preachers, female preachers in the churches of Christ? Is that biblical? Does that happen? Is that, should it happen? And, you know, if it's just a matter of preference, if it's just a matter of what we're used to looking at, then we shouldn't be talking about this. But if there's a biblical principle behind it that is being violated, it's something that needs to be addressed. We need to know how to deal with it. And uh, let's look at a couple things. What I want to do is I want us to look at um, some statements that are made in this YouTube video where she defends what she's doing and telling us why she's doing what she's doing. And then the local preacher there at that congregation had a few things to say, and I want to address what he had to say as well. Um, To begin with, this young lady said, the Lord made it clear through a lot of discernment and prayer that he was calling me to preach. Really? Would the Lord ask you to do something that he in his word says don't do. She said through a lot of discernment and a lot of prayer, it's become clear to me that the Lord wants me to preach. Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and verse 9, uh, 6 through 9? He said, you know what, if anyone brings any other gospel to you than that which I have delivered, let him be accursed. And he said, though he were an angel from heaven, and if he preaches something other than what was delivered, let him be accursed. God is not going to answer a prayer and tell us to do this and tell us to do something else in his word, the the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in all of those passages, there is a gender-based role distinction made with reference to worship. In other words, the men are allowed to do some things that the women are not allowed to do. Women are not allowed to teach over or have authority over a man. They're to be in a submissive role in, in worship, the men are supposed to lead and preach and, and teach. Now, if that's what God wrote, then why would he tell this girl through prayer or answer in a prayer that he wants you to do or he wants her to do something different than what he wrote? Well, the fact is, he wouldn't. He's not going to lead us in a way 
or in a direction that violates his written will. Here's another thing that she said. She said, if I'm in a place where I find peace, then that's the Lord saying yes to me. She said, if I didn't, if my heart didn't feel good, if I didn't have peace about this decision to preach, she said, I wouldn't do it. But because I have this peace in my heart, that's God saying yes to me and my decision to preach. Can we not see through the shallow thinking of that? That, that is not well reasoned out. Can we trust our heart to determine what is right and what is wrong? Is our heart a safe guide? Listen, if I feel at peace, it's right. Is that the standard by which we measure human conduct? Surely not. Proverbs warns us in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26 that a man who trusts in his heart is a fool. You can't trust your heart. And furthermore, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, he warned us and he said, you know, the heart above all things is wicked. It's deceitful. We we can't just simply say, you know what, I I feel peaceful about this. And, And if that works for her, does it work for somebody else? You know, there are people all over, you know, we have a cultural issue right now where homosexuals are saying, you know, I think we ought to be able to get married today. And I'm at peace with that. I have no problem with that whatsoever, they might say. So does that make it right? And and you add any other issue in that. that that's not the standard by which we measure conduct. She also said this, our church is one that embraces differences. Sometimes we don't walk that out very comfortably. But that's just a part of being open to the change that Jesus is calling us to. Our church is one that embraces differences. Now, she's not talking about differences of opinion. In this context, they're not talking about whether we have carpet or not have carpet or have padded pews or not have padded pews or whether we meet on Wednesday night, Thursday night, or Monday night for Bible study or what time we meet. That Those aren't the issues. She's, she's talking about, are we going to let women preach? And she said, our church embraces those kind of differences. If we're talking about matters of, about which God has already revealed That's a problem. You see, where God reveals His will, we shouldn't embrace differences. There should be unity. We should speak the same thing, be of the same mind and of the same judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so to say, you know what, we're going to do some things doctrinally different and we're just going to embrace our differences and get along, that's not what God... Can you imagine Corinth doing that? Paul writes to 1 Corinthians, uh, the 1 Corinthian letter, and he says, you know what, you guys need to quit taking each other to, to suit, to court. You're suing each other, chapter 6. Stop it. And so Paul gets word back that, you know what, they've just, instead of just stopping it, they've decided to embrace their diversity. And they're going to go ahead and, and just get along, not getting along. 
They're going to go ahead and continue to... And, you know, the resurrection... No, the resurrection is not past. And yes, there is a resurrection of the dead. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Well, Paul, you know, I know that's what you wrote, but we're a church that embraces differences. And if some folks don't want to believe in a resurrection, that's fine with us. Um, We're just going to get along. You see, that's not what God would want done. Paul wrote and instructed them so that they wouldn't be divided anymore on those issues. That they would all speak the same thing, be of the same mind and the same judgment. Here's another thing. She said, when God calls us to be united, and this is a quote from her sermon, when God calls us to be united, why is it that other people who believe in God get in our way? You know, She's up pleading for unity. Let's quit fighting. Let's get along with each other. Why is it that when God calls us to be united, other Christians who believe in God, they get in our way? Could it be because they're standing for truth and they can't idly sit by and allow error to trump the truth? Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19, there was corruption in the Lord's Supper. They were not doing what the Lord said to do. And Paul wrote to them and corrected their error. And he said, you know what? And because of this error that you've been engaging in with reference to the Lord's Supper, there must be divisions among you. If you're to be manifest as a follower of Christ and faithful to Jesus, you have to stand up and say, no, no, I I can't do this. Division in and of itself is not always sinful, but the cause of division is. Sometimes, though, we, we have to stand in the way. Those brethren who were trying to do right in Corinth, they had to divide from those who were practicing error. And the reason that some are standing in the way is because of their love for truth. It's nothing personal. Um, Here's what the preacher said concerning their decision to have this young lady preach. He said, you know, I think Paul was addressing a temporary issue in Corinth and Ephesus. He wasn't trying to make rules for everybody for every time. In other words, he was saying it was just a cultural phenomenon. It it, it was a cultural edict. There there were things going on in Corinth at the time and in Ephesus at the time that required Paul to say, ladies, be quiet. Don't preach. You know, you're going to cause problems if you do. He said, but it was just their culture. It was just temporary. He wouldn't tell us that today, but that was just something that he told them. And again, I ask you to go home and you read 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, and read 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you find the reference, the rationale being culture for this gender-based role distinction. It's not there. I know that I hear people say it over and over and over again, and the fear that I have is that because it's repeated so frequently, we'll just buy into it and accept it. Oh, yeah, well, that, 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 we don't have to do that anymore. That was just a cultural thing at the time. In 1 Corinthians 11, the rationale for the gender-based distinction was creation. Same thing in chapter 14. 
And when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, again, the same thing. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Not for there's a problem in Ephesus and women are getting out of control and we want to make... No, it, it had reference to, to, well, prior to culture. It transcends culture. God went all the way back to Genesis. The preacher also said this. What the Bible does is tell us about Jesus... And I don't read Jesus through Paul. I read Paul through Jesus. Paul was a fellow student of Jesus, just like we are. So what he was telling us is, listen, yeah, you got these things that Paul said over here, but those need to be filtered through Jesus. Well, of course, Jesus is the object of our faith. I understand that. But if what you mean by that statement... I don't read Jesus through Paul, but I read Paul through Jesus. If what you mean by that is we can just disregard everything that Paul said, there's something wrong with that. And if you're trying to indicate that Paul was just a fellow student of Jesus like we are, you're mistaken there too. The Apostle Paul was inspired by God. He wrote what he wrote because God put it in his pen. He's not a student like we are. Turn in your Bible. I want you to see something. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. And I think this is an important principle for us to remember. John chapter 16. Because what we're talking about here is little more than a glorified red letter edition. You know, there, there are those who have this idea, well, did, did Jesus say it or did somebody else say it? Because if it's in the red letters, I'm going to listen to it. But if it's in the black, eh, I don't know. You know, maybe it's not as important. Um, you know, that, that sounds silly to us, but that's in essence what, um, you know, it's a little more sophisticated. But that's in essence what we're talking about here. But listen to what Jesus said. It reflects directly on what Paul was going to say. In John chapter 16 and verse um, 12 beginning. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will, listen, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You know what that says? That says that the words of the apostles in the epistles are just as much Jesus as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's no dichotomy between what Jesus said and what Paul said. You're trying to create some, well, listen, we've got to filter Paul through Jesus. And so our, our, you know, we're going to create this image of Jesus and, and dismiss some of what Paul said. No, Jesus himself said, there are some things that I've told, told you and there's more, but you're not ready for it. So I'm going to go on, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and what that Spirit tells you comes from me. It's of me. It's my stuff. He's just going to continue telling you what I would have said if you were able to have borne it at that time. So what you have in the epistles is just as authoritative 
as those red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the final statement that I want to bring up, the lady said, the young lady said, whatever gifts you have, you can use them for the Lord without regard to race, age, or gender. She was speaking to young people, especially to young women. And she was saying, guys, listen, I've been here. I've done this. I want to encourage you. Do not let people hold you down. Do not let them hold you back. You have a right, and she said, in fact, a calling by God to use whatever talent you have without regard to race, age, or gender. If that's true, why did Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Elders must be married. Wait, uh, why? How come a single guy can't be an elder? Elders must be the husband of one wife. What were you saying? Why? Why can't a, a woman be an elder? Elders must be mature, not a not. Wait, what, why? why? Why can't they be young and be an elder? You see, everything she said there is violated or contradicts, rather, what the Apostle Paul said with reference to the qualification for elders and deacons. Yes, there are roles that God has given us that are gender-based. There are roles that God has given us that are age-based. There are roles that God has given us that are based on our marital status. We don't have the right to pursue that which God has not said, this is for you to do. And so, uh, like I said, I say all that not wanting to, to throw off. I, I don't doubt the sincerity of this young lady. Um, I, she has a very uh, ironic spirit. But, but listen, that's not what determines truth. And I'm not suggesting she's the devil when I say this. Please understand that. But doesn't the Bible say that the devil himself can appear as an angel of light? You can't be won by the appearance or the gentleness or, or the spirit of another individual. That, that's not how we settle truth. Truth is settled by the revelation of God. I, I just want us to be vigilant I want us to be aware of what's taking place. I want us to be aware of what took place prior to our coming on the scene and how easily it could be if we don't pay attention and if we don't stand up and fight for this holy ground of worship. I want us to be aware of where we can be. Um, the Word of God is the standard, not how we feel, but the Word of God ultimately determines this is truth and this is error. And John chapter 12 and verse 48 says, you know, you can reject me and my word, but I'm telling you, the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. I just want us to follow the Bible. I want us to seek truth, and I, and I don't want to rationalize away what God has said, because we live in a, a culture that is continually calling on us to allow things that God just doesn't allow.
And so that's for you tonight to digest, to think about, uh, to consider the passages and the arguments that were made and, and the answers to them. And, and listen, pray for your brothers. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 that not only should we just pray for ourselves and the Carnes congregation, but we're to pray for the brotherhood. Get outside these walls and pray for your brethren. And be thankful that you have elders here that have protected this flock from this kind of disturbance. Not everyone, obviously, is so blessed. And those places need to be in our prayers. So, so remember them in, in your prayers. Tonight we're going to offer the invitation as we bring this study to a close. There, there may be someone here that needs to respond to Jesus. May, maybe you need to say, you know what, it's time to do truth. I want to be a seeker of truth. If you're here tonight and you've not yet been baptized into Christ, make that decision. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and it's time to get serious and, and stand up and, and fight for the right things and fight against the wrong things, the Lord needs you. And we'll pray with you if you, if you need help in doing that. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come.